Hey guys, welcome back to Standby for Tones podcast. Today is a little bit different episode. Myself and Sam were able to uh, kind of do a live event uh, where we were at a local conference um, here in Southern Idaho. And uh, yeah, we just set up and just started talking. We interviewed a few people and uh, we're lucky enough to actually find some uh, pretty cool vendors, um, including our sponsor for today, um, Zero Dark 30 Coffee. They uh, are awesome coffee company, great product, and a lot of their proceeds go to helping out first responders, police, military, uh, helping out with PTSD stuff. So they were uh, nice enough nice enough to get us some coffee that we are going to be doing a giveaway. Uh, with that giveaway, we're also going to give away one of our books and one of our uh, flight logs as well. So make sure you guys watch the episode, enjoy it. And uh, find that link in the description uh, where you can sign up for that, uh, some free coffee, some free stuff from us. And yeah, we'll have links for everyone that we talk to, um, all of our vendors. And uh, hope you guys enjoy the show. Thanks. Hey guys, I am here with Jared from Zero Dark 30 Coffee. And uh, we're just going to be talking about his products a little bit. One of our sponsors here at CIFA, uh, one of the vendors, and uh, pretty cool uh, stuff that they got going on. So, Jared, tell us about your your company and what you guys do. So, basically, we the Reader's Digest version. Like, we, we get coffee beans from all over the world, high-quality Arabica beans. We roast them in, uh, in the Treasure Valley, and then we sell them online, uh, mostly direct-to-consumer. Yeah. Um, there's a few businesses that, that serve our coffee in as well, but uh, basic the, the money that we raise, we, we roll into a nonprofit, 501c3, gotcha. and then we use that money to help vets and first responders get into treatment for PTS. That's awesome. Yeah, so like one of the hurdles for getting into PTS treatment, um, a lot of vets and first responders are covered for vet, vet and first responder-specific PTSD programs. Yeah. Like there'll be grants written, so the guys that go into treatment, the treatment itself is covered. Gotcha. But getting to and from there is not covered. Yeah. And a lot of them, especially if you're in like a rural, like a lot of the volunteer firemen. Yep. You're in rural, like how are you going to get out of there? Yeah. So we'll pay to we'll pay to drive them to an airport, fly them to treatment, That's get awesome. them, put them up in a hotel the night before, and that way they just you know that financial barrier. We kind of try to remove that as much as we can. No, that's awesome. One of the, I mean, that's, it's been really nice lately. The, the focus there has been on mental health and in all the stuff that we go through as first responders and, you know, military guys, I mean, appreciate them. Can't imagine. I'm yep. super, you know, grateful for what they do and have done for us. So no, I think it's awesome that you guys uh, not only have a, an awesome product, as you guys can see here, some, some awesome coffee um, that tastes delicious. They were giving out some free samples earlier, so we definitely got some of that. And uh, no, but that you know, a lot of that you get sent back to to first responders. So that's um, no, that's amazing. So we we appreciate that. And uh, as you were telling me, we were talking. You had said you're going to be. Uh, you guys are starting up a podcast as well, yeah. huh? Yeah. So. Yeah. So we'll be launching that uh, hopefully in March, and it's basically just having a conversation with other vets, first responders awesome. that have struggled with PTS, um, recognized it, yeah, put their lives, you know, had some struggles because of it, and then put their lives back together yeah. on the track, the path to healing. Um, and that's basically it. Just tell your story. Because the reality is the only thing that reaches us, it's not a shrink. Yeah. You know, it's not something in an office chair. 
that can't relate to us. It's somebody who's walked in your shoes. Correct. You know, I've been there. My life fell apart. My life, my life personally imploded. <laughs> Seriously imploded. Like I was a police officer and I ended up getting arrested in my own department, taken wow. to my own jail and booked in by my friends. So like, I know, I know what PTS does. Yeah. I know the effects of it. When I was going through all that, I had no idea that's what it was. Yeah. And so now looking back five years later, um, I can see that's what it is. So we can actually reach the guys be like, Hey, I can't, I can't fix anyone. Like yeah. I, we don't have the ability to fix somebody else. Correct. What I can do is tell you how I did it. Yeah. You know, this is the path I walked in. Hopefully it works. It may work for you. It may not work for you, but this is the path I bought. And then we also teamed up with courageous survival. Who's also here awesome, yep. at Ziva. And they do a lot of outreach work, um, a lot of schisms and, and getting guys into treatment. And then they vetted an entire book full of resources this yeah. here in Idaho. Yep. They're yeah, amazing. Uh, they were good there last year. Um, listen to them talk, and I'm pretty sure they're talking again this year. So, yeah, yeah they're uh, amazing. Yeah, no, but I appreciate it. I think it's awesome. Like I said, that uh, again, you're you know, turn that around, turn your life around, and now you know, give it back to to other first responders. So, make sure you guys check them out. Again, go get some coffee. Good stuff. Zero Dark Thirty Coffee. And uh, thanks, guys. Hey guys, welcome back to Standby for Tones podcast. A little bit of a different view today. You got myself and Sam like always. Hello, hello. Still not like mixing it. it up yet. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> so today, yeah, we are mixing it up in as far as location. So you can see from the bleachers behind us, today we are hanging out at SIFA. What is SIFA, Sam? SIFA. Uh, today we are out here with... Uh, with ourselves and a bunch of other uh, fire EMS vendors, it's the Southern Idaho Fire Academy. It's an annual event that comes on uh, down in a small town called Paul, Idaho, or Minico, Minico Paul area. And uh, you know, it's open to pretty much anybody in the in the nation if they want to come and join and have vendors and do all these things. So here we are. Isaac and I spent the entire morning teaching. We're going to be back tomorrow going through a bunch of scenarios and all sorts of things. So it's a good time for everybody. It is. It's been real fun. Yeah. Yep. So we got to do some uh, teaching today, which was exciting. It's good to get back in the classroom and uh, having a live audience. So it's uh, something we've done for a long time before we started this. Yeah. So no. kind of getting back to the roots of that has been uh, been a fun day. So. Yeah. No, it's good. And like you said, we're in a little bit different of an environment. Uh, we got people staring at us right now. So my eyes are wandering, all <laughs> right. the fun things right now. But what do you want to talk about today? Well, I figured other than talking about, uh, you know, SIFA and this this fire academy they do every year, President's Day weekend, like I said, in southern Idaho. Cheap um, registration, very too. Very cheap registration. You get come get some continuing edu- education hours, um, huge fire aspects. So they have tons of fire stuff going on. Um, and then all of our, our company does a lot of the education for um, – yeah, for all the EMS guys that yeah. come down as well. So. Yeah, we're giving them 16 hours this year of continuing ed from yeah. helicopter landing zone. You talked about chest pain. I did our two minutes in hell lecture. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of things that are that are going to be good about this. There's usually about 400 people that show up, which is really surprising for the size of the area. But like I said, we get people coming from all over the state, so it's huge. It is. It's a, yeah, it's a great, great venue. And it's like I said, it's nice. They do it every year, so. But no, I figured we'll talk about kind of what we lectured on today, get into the, some of that continuing education. Um, it's a little more of a, a BLS, ILS kind of audience. Mm-hmm. So 
Um, we've been really, you know, hitting it hard on the critical care stuff. So it was nice to get back to the basics. Yeah. No, the back to basics is good. And one of the things that I forget about is a lot of the people and a lot of the agencies out there don't deal with the QRU aspect or the, you know, the true, you know, first responder where you're getting an emergency medical technician or an emergency medical responder. And it's just them until... ALS comes up for, you know, it could be upwards of an hour sometimes in these remote areas. Yep. And so we really tried to focus on, you know, our, like you said, our BLS, ILS care. And, you know, I really liked your, your chest pain lecture today. So why don't you walk us through that a little bit, you know, oh, kind of hit some of the high points. I should have brought a computer. We could have <laughs> pulled it up a little bit. That's all right. I'll we'll throw wing up, it today. Uh, I'll throw up some slides and on the, on the video itself. Uh, when I edit this, but no, we did. Uh, yeah, I did talks about chest pain today, um, and not only chest pain, but differentials and assessments. Yeah, and some of the huge things. Yeah, how important it is, right? Um, it was great listening to yours before mine, because uh, you were talking about, like I said, that two minutes in hell and that quick assessment of that critical patient. Yeah. So you know, mine's kind of the opposite. It's like, okay, you know, maybe they're not actively dying right in front of us, but yep. we still need to figure out what's going on with them. And especially for our BLS providers, I mean, that's tough. It is tough. What, you know, I brought up the points I brought today really were like, okay, if you go to the hospital, I mean, what do these guys have to diagnose somebody and figure out what's going on with them? The hospital has everything. I mean, they've got it all, you know. You've got a full medical history. You've Mm -hmm. got CT scanners, x-ray, lab you have teams to take care of your stuff, you know, for the doctors so that they yeah. can come up with a diagnosis for these guys. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> talk myself out of breath. Right. So they have that full team, whereas on the ground, I mean, we have myself, a partner, Yeah. you know, and they've got maybe, maybe they have a cardiac monitor, maybe. Mm-hmm. Right. Most of the time, it's just an AED that these guys are going to be carrying. An AED, or if they do have a cardiac monitor, it's just to get vitals. Yep. And they're not really doing EKG interpretation. We're yep. not really, don't have a true understanding of it, right? So having a blood pressure cuff, a stethoscope, a glucometer, a thermometer, and basically their assessment. Yeah. So just really talking the importance of patient assessments. And uh, so we just went through the differentials of chest pain and kind of talked about seven different types of emergent chest pain, um, you know, that these guys should watch for and pay attention for. Yeah, it's a great lecture. I mean, like, we'll have to, you know, bring it out completely one of these days so we can, you know, record it live, get it out to people, because it really, those differential diagnoses are huge, right? It's something that we forget about often, and not all chest pain is the same. Correct. Not, not... It's not the same. Our treatment plans aren't the same. And, and that was one of the things I talked about, too. It's like, you know, not everybody, just because they say they have chest pain, means, hey, they get nitro and aspirin. Right? Yeah. You know, that can be detrimental to somebody with an aortic dissection. So being able to recognize those kind of things and have differentials going into, uh, into your patient care. And we just have our, like I said, our assessments to do that. So uh, one of the best assessment tools we have for chest pain um, is our OPQRST, mm-hmm. right? That's, commonly uh, forgotten. Commonly, right? I mean, we use it, but if you really go through it and you can dive deep into each mm-hmm. one of those questions and come up with some good answers. So a lot of times, I mean, these guys have long transports, 
to or a long wait for a helicopter or yeah. ALS to get there. So I mean, really dive into that history is all is all we have. Even like like the area that we're in, like we have transport times as paramedics up to an hour for a 911 scene call, if not more, depending yeah. on where we're at out there. So trying to help these, you know, I, I try not to use the, the term lower level providers because I mean like all, all EMS providers have their time or their place and, you know, their ability to do their things and everything like that. But an hour long transport when say we're weathered in by the helicopter where, you know, an ALS unit isn't available, like trying to get them to understand some of the basics and remind them of some of these, you know, assessment techniques is huge for us. And, you know, it was kind of cool watching these guys as you were giving your lecture because I, I observe the room a lot. It's kind yeah. of my thing. And watching them ask these questions, like, there are some badass providers in our area. I mean, like, oh, a lot sure. of these guys were super smart, and their questions were well thought out. But watching some of their light bulbs come on, just when you, you know, pulled up that slide that said OPQRST, and them go, oh, like, <laughs> like, sh- yeah. like, like, what are the, like, I mean, it's these, these little things that we can remind people of, of, you know, what we go through. And what do you think the highlight of your, your presentation was? What do you? Oh, I don't know. Hard to say. Yeah. <laughs> I was just trying to get through it without uh, <laughs> messing up too much. Like I said, it's been a while since I talked live. But yeah. uh, no, I, I, I don't know. What I hope was, again, was just asking good questions. And not only for, like I said, if they have to transport, but recognition of serious issues yeah. so that maybe you're not doing a transport and you are actually waiting on a helicopter because it's probably going to be better outcomes for your patient if you can get them to the appropriate facility, right? A lot of these places, I mean, they have an ER, maybe a surgery, but that's it. So somebody who's, you know, having a STEMI or having that aortic dissection, I mean, they need to go to a better hospital that can actually take care of that. And just putting them them in the truck and giving them diesel – you know, isn't always the answer because now you have to wait for that hospital to come up with their diagnosis Mm -hmm. and figure out what's going on, arrange for transport. And it's just, you know, extending these patient problems out for, you know, an hour and a half that we could have them to the appropriate facility in under an hour if you just Mm -hmm. wait 10 minutes on scene. Yeah. I mean, we kind of covered that a little bit in our last podcast, right? I mean, like, that extended stay on scene kind of transitions down to not only the critical level, but sometimes the BLS level too, just depending on like, is this patient too sick for our local community hospital to take care of? And all hospitals have their place in, you know, treatment and diagnosis and all of these things. But I mean, like, we really have to start understanding like in hospital versus out of hospital time. Yeah. Do we want to wait 10 minutes for a helicopter to get on scene, increasing their out-of-hospital time a little bit, but get them to the appropriate facility? Yeah. I mean, like, I feel like that was a lot of what, you know, your your lecture came down to is bringing to a lot of these little awarenesses to these providers that just kind of started clicking and putting things together and then breaking down the seven different types of emergent chest pain, you know, from your STEMI to your... Uh, your debakey classifications and all these things and watching them just eat it up was super cool. So, you know, yeah, I thought it was, it was a uh, really successful, you know, class and lecture overall for them. It, it felt like forever. <laughs> <laughs> an hour is a long time to talk. Was, I was, mean, to command the attention of a room for an hour is, can be really hard, especially like when you don't know the group, you don't know their levels. And, you know, yeah. when we're coming into a situation like this where there's so many different 
levels of providership, different QRUs, different first responders, and trying to get them on on the same level playing field, it's really it's really hard. And it, I mean, it like is. I'm wiped by the end of a an hour or more lecture. Oh, for sure, it was, um, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, yeah, and it's interesting to see where, again, because they're from not only all over Idaho, all over Idaho, but other yeah. states as well. And it's uh, no, it was it was a lot of fun, but it's it's interesting because everyone has different levels of care, and can that. That changes from not only state to state, but agency to agency yeah. on, on what they can do. Mm-hmm. You know, some were able to, okay, maybe some uh, some of those BLS agencies, they carried nitro or in others, you know, you can only give nitro if the patient had it. So. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like, Idaho is a very unique state when it comes down to that because, I mean, like, we have state protocols. Yes. Like, any agency is allowed to use the state protocols. If that's what they want to use, that's great. But, I mean, if your agency wants to go out and your medical director wants to create their own protocols, I mean, like, as long as the medical director signs off on it, they're good as gold as long as you stay within, you know, the scope of practice of the national standard emergency medical technician. Yeah. But, I mean, like, they could add whatever they want to to an extent. And, Correct. You know, and finding that middle ground is, is kind of hard. I mean, I kind of feel bad for for Dr. Larson in there trying to teach difficult airway um, <laughs> and bring down difficult airway from flight providers to, to the BLS level and see how they can, you know, be impacted and affected by it. So yeah. it's hard to make that transition. It is. To, and it's a little different from what we've been teaching. Like I said, lately doing mainly focused on critical care stuff. Yeah. But, uh, no, what, let's uh, hop into two minutes of hell and yeah. kind of what you talked about today. Yeah, the two minutes of hell lecture, man, it's really become one of my favorite lectures that we kind of started to bring to light and bring and, you know, talk about a little bit more. And I talked about it. There was one uh, video that we put out, like the two minutes in hell of the trauma resuscitation. So the basis of the two minutes in hell is what can we get done in two minutes that is going to impact the outcome of our patient? What is going to be the life-saving intervention between the time that we make patient contact to the point where we're starting to give vital signs in our secondary assessment? I think a lot of it really comes down to is, you know, we talked a little bit about task chunking. And as providers, I don't know if you ever felt this, but in my early days, I felt myself jumping around from task to task, you know, just kind of oh, willy yeah. nilly starting something, going to something else, coming back to this other one and not seeing the task all the way through until the, you know, the end. It's like watching a medication <laughs> work. When you give a medication, you give it the allotted time to work. It's going to work. Yeah. Right. Like we give morphine or something like that. And two minutes later, we're reassessing pain. Well, knowing that our onset of action time is 10 minutes. Yeah. Like. We don't need to redose them. Give them the time. Give to, them a minute to, to, yeah, to let it work. Yeah. Exactly. Excuse me. I talked myself out of breath again. Right. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, thank you for lunch, but I am stuffed and got to get back on the wagon here. But, uh, you know, with that, that two minutes in hell lecture is really important because we talk about the basis of the, the fundamental basis of walking into a patient's house, getting that good doorway examination looking at their skin color condition, looking at how they're breathing, how they're responding to, you know, the generic, hi, my name's Sam and I'm a paramedic. I'm here to help you. And how they respond to that. How does that correlate with their respiratory drive and their, their, uh, you know, kind of guesstimated SpO2 and then how to feel a pulse. And like, you know, a lot of those guys, you know, are, are very good. But when you break it down into something as simple as, is how fast do we do chest compressions between 120, 100 and 120 beats a minute? And then you correlate that with a heart rate as they're just palpating it. And you just watch them eat that alive of like, oh, 
I know what 100 beats a minute feels like. It's just like chest compressions. Okay, I feel a pulse. It's 100 beats a minute. Like, I don't need an SpO2 to tell me that. I don't need, you know, 60 seconds or 15 seconds just feeling a pulse and counting on my watch. I mean, like, learning how to get some of these guesstimations in to make our job easier, smoother, faster, ultimately leads to better patient outcomes because we're not, you know, we're not overthinking it to an extent, but we're also not taking that time away from our patient where, you know, we could be doing something else. No, it was good. And I thought one of your, uh, the good points you made was, you know, like you have that critical patient and like, why would you try to get vital signs in that first two minutes when, I mean, you should be able to, again, that first 15 seconds assess and know, yeah, their vitals suck. I don't need to waste time in that mm-hmm. first, you know, that first critical time when we're there and making our decisions and actually performing life-saving um, interventions, yeah. you know, why, why waste time on, on vital signs Yeah, when I can jump in and, you know, put my finger in a hole. They look <laughs> shitty. I already <laughs> stopped the bleeding, yeah, right? <laughs> I already know their vital signs are going to be <laughs> shitty. Like, yeah. like, yes, it's a confirming factor, but the amount of mixed reviews I feel like I get when I say that vital signs isn't a priority in that first two minutes Correct. is astronomical. Like I almost feel uncomfortable saying it in groups because I feel like I'm going to get rocks thrown at me. Like, no, like I, that's I all I can it. do. You Take know. my vital signs. It's just like, it's, that's not all you can do. This is why we're here to teach. Like you've got somebody exsanguinating, fix the exsanguination. How is getting vital signs going to fix their exsanguination? It's not. It's not. They're, they're going to die in that two minutes that you have them there. Correct. You have a cardiac arrest patient. Fix their exsanguination before you start CPR. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Well, it's just like, well, do you want to pump the blood out faster? Like, <laughs> I mean, like, we're going to talk. We, we talk about these things and watching yeah. their eyes just kind of, like, you know, oh, open yeah. up a little bit and, you know, bring a little more of a realistic touch to it makes me feel really good as an instructor. Um, and hopefully that we can get some of these people to, you know, spread the gospel, as I shall say, <laughs> of, of what we're trying to get out, because I mean, it's huge. I mean, like vital signs are in the secondary assessment for a reason. Correct. It's been that way our entire career and why we continuously move it to the, you know, the primary assessment is beyond me. Like, like yeah, I had, I'm a, not sure. Yeah. I had my, I had a super sick patient on the ambulance just a couple of days ago and, uh, complete exsanguination, get the exsanguination taken care of. I didn't even get vital signs during the transport. Like, right. like I had them for all of maybe like eight, 10 minutes or something like that. Yeah. And I mean, like I had a couple minutes on scene time trying to get him going, but my primary focus was stopping his bleeding for sure. Like and keeping him alive and then having my partner get access. So if, since I already know the vital signs are shitty, like then I can give him, you know, I didn't, I don't have blood on an ambulance, but I mean like, you can get him a little bit of a crystalloid bolus and get him up. I already know, like, he's got a blood pressure. He's got a pulse, you know. There's a lot of things that, uh, you know, kind of came about that that I was kind of looked at funny, and then I was just like, it's a secondary assessment thing. We it never is. made it past our primary assessment, and sometimes that's okay it is. because my focus was keeping him from bleeding out the entire time. Absolutely, and it's, it's okay to... To again find those life threats, and that was that was the big focus. Is yeah. find those life threats and you know fix them or stop them, you know, like I said, stopping the bleed um, or whatever it is you can. Because if you don't stop that imminent threat, whatever's yeah. going on, right? Then you know the next the next ten minutes isn't going to matter if you're not going to fix it in the first two. Yeah. So you know you're not you're not going to have a patient by the end of it. So being able to again recognize life threats and 
do something about it. You know, if we watch that trauma arrest happen, you know, it's I'm not immediately jumping on the chest and doing CPR no. just because they coded, right? Yeah, obviously CPR is good, but, but once again, it's, it's not going to make any difference if, you know, again, they have a giant tension pneumo thorax yeah. going on. And maybe you can't feel a pulse because of that tension pneumo. Correct. He's probably still got a pulse, but, you know, Maybe it's just yep. it's off enough that you can't feel it. Like uh. we have to get into the fundamentals of treating the cause of these medical issues Correct. in that recessive format. And, you know, it's hard for people to grasp that. Like they see a dead body. They want to start CPR. I get it. Yep. I Me feel too. the same way. But once you start changing it in your mind that I'm doing more harm than good by starting CPR on this insanguinating patient or this trauma patient before fixing the issue that ultimately caused this arrest. Yep. It, it makes me ants in my pants, but I mean, like <laughs> you start to see the, you know, the change in how our patients survive and you know, their survivability rate goes up. Like, Absolutely. It's impressive. Like, and these, it's these little things that, you know, we can even get our, our QRU members, our EMTs, our EMRs and everything like that to understand. And, uh, you know, I think we'll start making a wave of, you know, getting people to understand this a little bit more. Yeah. Nope. I think it was great. And it, it was perfect leading into uh, watching you go first and talking about some of that assessment stuff, like I said, and then being able to go into mine and, and then really dive into to differentials. So, yeah, no, I think it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. It was good. We'll have to, uh, no, I'm excited to do some more, uh, some more stuff like this. So. Yeah. No, this is fun, man. I mean, like there's a lot of cool vendors around here. We got a bunch of, uh, you know, the Yankum Ropes guy here, um, your buddy with all the rescue stuff. Yep. Um, I can't remember the company that that's out of, but uh, um, there's a lot of really cool vendors and a lot of cool things going on with this fire academy. You know, uh, COVID kind of hit them hard. The first year coming back was a little bit rough. And then, you know, it's just kind of progressively built back in. But I could see this, you know, potentially being one of the bigger fire academies and EMS venues over the next couple of years, to be completely honest. I mean, we don't have a whole lot in South Central Idaho anyways, so why not make this bigger? Yeah, no, it's, it, and it is actually one of the biggest fire academies around. Um, and like I said, there's a, there's a ton of people here when we, when we rolled up this morning. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, no, I think we I think we did good with our lectures. I'm going to bring it back to that because, you know, um, I think we ultimately, by getting up in front of people, because we don't do that often. I mean, like a lot of a, a lot yeah, of education these days is by video yeah. or by, you know, a blended learning style or something like that, which I love. Like, I mean, like that's why we're in no, this industry good. is to bring that blended learning and that video stuff to a next, you know, a next level to provide a little bit better than the last guy. And, you know... Getting up and doing these in-person lectures, is, it's good. It's, it keeps me on my toes. I mean, like, there are some questions they even asked you. Like, I can't remember which one it was. Uh, um, there was a time frame question or, or the blood pressure question, the narrowing of the pulse pressures. Oh, and, yeah. And all I could say, I was talking to Andy in the back there, and I was like, and Andy, that's one of those questions that I would say, I don't know the answer to that right now. I'm going to look it up when I'm done with my lecture and I will get back to you. Thank you very much. <laughs> like, it's always said to me, sometimes uh, you like search out there for like, Hey, give me questions. What do you got? And then they ask him, you're like, damn it. <laughs> no, that was, that was a good question. That oh, I, it was a great I question. It, I mean, like it was a fantastic question, but I mean like that was one of those ones where I was just like, 
I've been doing this for almost 15 years and I don't even know the answer to that question. <laughs> like, like I'm going to, Oh, I'm going to research that just for myself and maybe we'll do a video on it. Great about narrowing pulse pressures. Uh, Dr. Google. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Dr. <laughs> Google. Praise be to Google. So, but yeah, man, um, overall, I really think that, uh, that this was a good, you know, like first, out in the open event for us. Oh, it was fun. You know, we had a lot of our, you know, our normal normal friends and, you know, people we work with, you know, because they all kind of come around and come together. I mean, get fat and sassy on donuts, act like a bunch of cops, <laughs> and, uh, and you know, and just enjoy the enjoy the atmosphere. So I'm, I'm excited to do these more. So if you guys are out there and, you know, have a small EMS, smaller EMS venue, like, need a couple goofball speakers out with some cool topics, like reach yeah, out absolutely. to us, let us know. I mean, like we can, can arrange our schedules and, you know, talk shop and do things like that because it's fun. I mean, I get a lot of enjoyment out of doing these things because there's just a lot of cool people out in the world that do our job just like we do that yeah, absolutely. can benefit from something we may be able to bring to them. That's, that's always one of my favorite things about going to EMS events and, you know, different conferences and stuff like that. It's just networking, yeah. meeting other people, seeing how, other people do stuff because we don't mm-hmm. always do things the same way. And I mean, we're all, we all have our areas of expertise and Absolutely. things that we are really good at. And there's always someone out there that's doing something different something better. So for me, that's, that's what I love doing is it's just finding people who, you know, do something different or have a different knowledge base than I do. Cause I'm, for me, I just want to learn from them. So, yeah. and it's, and it's okay. Right. You're, for me, like, I mean, it's okay that you're maybe not the best at something. Yeah. So don't be afraid to, to look for advice and seek help and find out what uh, what other people know because, I mean, that's you don't know what you don't know, and that's a lot of times what these conferences you find out stuff for. So mm-hmm. That's one of the things that, uh, you know, I've learned by going through conferences because you can tell the people that go to conferences yeah. apart from the people that don't. And, you know, I mean, like, there's a lot of reasons why people can't make conferences. Like, I don't go to a lot of them either just because of life. Like, I've got a a kid at home. You know, I've got a family, you know, all sorts of things that are going on. But you've also have this stigma of, you know, provider and whether that's law enforcement, fire, police, or (laughs) law enforcement, police, and uh, EMS. That I mean, like they feel like when we get these these certificates that we're the, the best that's ever hit God's green earth. And then that's what they stick with for the next, you know, entire career. It's what they learned in that book. And, you know, that's why I'm so excited for these because you get that other subset of individual that come out of the woodworks that just want to learn and they want to get better. And we get to network with them. We get to talk to them. We get to be a part of their, you know, their career and their, their career growth. And it's super cool to watch because I mean, we get to watch the progression of a lot of these people because we work with a lot of them. We do. And, you know, just having them come up to us afterwards and ask for resources and, you know, cards and demographic and graphics and things like that, things that they can put in ambulances and fire trucks and things like that. Those are huge little milestones for any provider to be able just to have the, you know, the, wherewithal to ask to how we can get better and you know it's super cool and you know that's kind of my last little tidbit that i got on the the conference side of things because i mean it's just one of those things that's really neat to me it is and that actually when you were talking about i was thinking that you know that's actually one of my favorite things about flying too is Mm -hmm. you know i get how much we interact with other agencies absolutely going to see 
meet people we've we've never got to meet before and Mm -hmm. see their agency and different stuff so yeah no but yeah absolutely if you guys haven't gone to any ms conferences take a look see uh see what you guys can find there's usually uh you know get your uh get your company to pony up some money for you yeah as well get get them uh sending you out places and bring it back bring it back whatever you learn knowledge sharing is a thing to your company and uh, and go from there that's you know something we always look forward to when we um, when our company sends us out to go do something and and go somewhere is it's like yeah we're going to send you but when you come back you got to teach something on it And, and that's okay it's I mean, I've always loved that concept of EMS is, you know, see one, do one, teach one. Yeah. Um, And I feel like when you go teach it, I mean, you really then have to get a good understanding of it because, like you said, there's people then who ask questions, right? Yeah. Yeah. You you have have to to, be the subject. You have to know know that stuff, be the subject expert, right, like you were saying. And, uh, no, it's, it's really good, so. Yeah. I mean, like, there's so many, there's so many benefits to it, and, you know, if we want to want to talk about like the EMS conference do's and don'ts, I mean, like there's a whole. I mean, like I like I like EMS one um, and their their posts. They do a whole thing on like EMS conference do's and don'ts. Mm-hmm. A lot of it comes down to, um, you know, show up to class on time, which is huge. Come dressed appropriately, which is huge. Don't go out and get hammered the night before, <laughs> which is also huge. Right. Um, don't, don't pony up to the bar because you never know who's taking your picture at any time. I mean, like there's, you know, there's times where I mean, like go out and have a drink or something like that. But I mean, like the biggest thing is like to show up attentively and take notes to come back, to do these things, to, you know, really be that, that shining star coming back to your agency because not everybody gets to go. Right. Yep. And so that's, I mean, like, that's a huge point. Like, I'm glad you brought that up because you know, it is a really, really, really big, big deal to be sent by an EMS agency or a fire agency to a conference. They're spending their money. Well, whether it's their money, the county's money, your money that you put into it, but <laughs> they're spending the agency money to send you somewhere. So you better take the most out of it that you can. Like, that's kind of one of the biggest things is like, I don't know. I just really enjoy coming to these things and, and bringing stuff back like you. So yeah, I don't know where my tangent went off on that, but <laughs> no worries, man. That's just no part worries. of it. So awesome, yeah, well, man. But uh, with that, I think uh, we're gonna stop talking for a minute. We may uh, try to find a few people to come uh, sit down and talk if they're yeah. willing to. It's it's nerve wracking. It is. I mean, I know sitting here, I've been nervous as heck just talking yeah. in front of a whole bunch of people, people walking by going, what are these guys doing? Oh, d- but, uh, <laughs> dude, my heart rate was probably at <laughs> least 140 starting my in-person lecture today. Like, oh, I know. Like, I was so out of breath by slide four. I was like, well, <sighs> Sam was also doing a marathon around the room. Oh, I love walking, talking. I was trying to take pictures of Sam <laughs> so he could post them with a the podcast, but I I mean, ninety percent of the time he was like on the other side of the room. I was like, "Well, there goes that." So, I love walking and talking, man. Sitting at that desk sometimes drives me nuts. But on that note, ladies and gentlemen, thank you. Thank you so much. We'll uh, make sure you check out the website. Look for us on Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, all the good places. All the places. You know where Amazon. At. Amazon. Check out our book. Get your resources and uh, stand by for tones, guys. Yeah. Hey, everybody. I am with friend of mine, somebody I've known for a long time, had the pleasure of working with. He is Mr. Taylor Hunsaker. He's a fire captain, I believe. Lieutenant. 
lieutenant, captain, chief. I don't know what he is, <laughs> but he's got the mustache to make it work. That's right. Right. So he's here at CIFA. He's doing a, what are you doing today? What classes? I'm doing a bomb awareness and uh, class. It's a, it's a FEMA class. It's, um, it's a lot of fun. It actually shows us, teaches us what we're looking for. If we actually show up on a scene where, um, you know, maybe just a, a breathing, somebody, you know, having a hard time breathing, we show up and, They've actually been making stuff for explosives in the house yeah. or meth labs, things like that. It's so. uh, an unfortunate scenario that we can definitely encounter, right? I yeah, mean, yeah. Yeah, it's always it's getting crazier and crazier these days, I feel like. So, no, that's good. I was talking to, um, I forget his name, somebody else doing that class as well. He said it was really good. So, no, that's great. Um, one of the things I also wanted to talk to Taylor about uh, as I saw him walking around and convinced him to come over and talk <laughs> was uh, one of the things he does as well as volunteer and do EMS work and firework is he also works for one of our major dispatch centers. So wanted to get your kind of take on that where you have a unique <laughs> kind of perspective of not only doing dispatch, but then actually being an EMS. So you get kind of both sides of it. Yeah, I, I mean, I started on the EMS side. Would, you know, I was EMS fire before I went to dispatch, and so when I got into dispatch, I, I think I kind of had a little bit of a leg up because I knew the other side of the radio. Yeah. You know, and so that's, I think you know, that kind of helped me a lot. And then, uh, you know, I, it's just one of those things that once it's in your blood, though, you can't get out of it. <laughs> <laughs> right. And that's, yeah, I mean, for most of us, I mean, our our relationship and, and knowledge of dispatch is just, those uh voices that like to send us places or that we have to put up with all the time yeah. <laughs> so um i mean how how challenging is that as a dispatcher you know it, it's actually getting more and more challenging but uh, it's um there's there's less and less people that want to do the job yeah and you know right we're still we're dispatching you know your your 91 calls are getting more and more frequent i mean absolutely every, all the agencies are getting busier so that you know it Every agency gets busier. That just means dispatch is getting busier. Yeah, you know, and we're doing it with less people. And you know, just yeah. like every other agency out there, it's it's you know a trying time right now, trying to find people that want to do any of this kind of job. So it is for sure. You know. Yeah, that was had lots of good conversations with uh, people, some organizations that were are here as as vendors as well that are helping out with like quick response units and volunteers because yeah, numbers are down and it's it's hard to find people and. Yeah. You know, all our, all of our stuff seems just to get more expensive, and it's it's hard to do. Yeah, so. it is. It's yeah, numbers are down, and uh, you, have, you know, staff numbers are down, but uh, emergencies are up. Yeah, you know, and call volumes up. There's, sure. yeah, there's, you know, there's, it's it's. What do you do? Yeah, <laughs> you no. just you dig in and go. Absolutely. So, but uh, yeah, so doing the bomb stuff, and I know you've yeah. come you've come to CIFA quite a few years. Yeah, yeah, I, I've I've well, shoot, I've been doing this for twenty eight years now, and yeah. so. I've probably been over here at least a dozen times or so. And gotcha, gotcha, so. yeah. And I think you've probably been on the instructor side, yeah, as yep. well as the yep, I've been uh, involved, student so. side. So no, we appreciate having you here, <laughs> and uh, no, just thanks, guys. And remember to uh, thanks your thank your dispatchers. <laughs> right, they do uh, they do good jobs for us, even though we don't like them when they wake us up and send us <laughs> places. Right, they do have a, a difficult time, and like you said, numbers are down for not only us out there you know uh on the trucks and doing stuff but for people being able to take the calls so yeah you know, so thank your dispatcher and thank you taylor for stopping by bud yeah thanks man i appreciate having having you on your show yeah, absolutely <laughs> i like it when you smack it like that <laughs> <laughs>
Everybody, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Uh, to my right, uh, we have another guest for us today. This is uh, Dr. Matt Larson. He's a guy that I've worked with for quite some time. You know, a super good ER doc, uh, was a cop for a while, you know, kind of did the whole thing. So why don't you introduce yourself to us a little bit here? Hey, thanks, Sam. Yeah, my name is Matt Larson. I'm an ER doc. I've been doing emergency medicine for 18 years. Um, do a lot of EMS, um, EMS medical directorships, um, mm-hmm. kind of my area of interest. Um and uh, yeah, thanks for having me out here at the at the CIFA conference. Yeah, absolutely. So like we talked about earlier in our uh, kind of introduction here, we're at CIFA, the Southern Idaho Fire Academy. You know, just kind of really enjoying our time given that, uh, you know, BLS to ILS and some ALS level education that some of these guys might not go out uh, and get on a, on a normal basis. So we talked about earlier, Isaac and I ta- uh, taught on, you know, the importance of a primary survey, uh, you know, secondary surveys. Isaac talked about chest pain. And then, uh, Dr. Larson, what did you teach on today? So I was asked to teach uh, kind of a difficult uh, topic when it relates to the the uh, EMT basic yeah. uh, intermediate level because I was asked to talk about difficult airway. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done, myself and a partner of mine, have done a lot of education historically with higher level uh, critical care transport paramedics. Um, even physicians on difficult airway management. Um, but it really turned out well because honestly what we teach, we don't teach any great techniques. We didn't come up with any great new, you know, ground-baking yeah. techniques on how so to manage kind airways. Of skipping the salad, the, you know, the cross-mandible we, technique and innovation we, and things like that. We do like do that, that in, the, in yeah. the advanced technique. But what we really teach is mindset and mm-hmm. really the idea of checklists, a mindset, having an individual algorithm things that you follow, techniques that you know and are very comfortable with. And that really did translate to the EMT basic intermediate level, even though we're not talking about innovations and cricothyrotomies mm-hmm. and surgical airways, that kind of thing, um, because that's not within their scope. But things that were in with, within their scope, like really good BVM, mm-hmm. really good um, uh, positioning of patients, assessments of patients, um, translate across the spectrum all the way from uh, first responders to um, critical care docs and ED docs, um, making that ha- making sure you have that algorithm really kind of focused on that mental status or mental uh, checklist and that kind of how you mentally approach an airway issue. Yeah, I love that because, you know, we get into that realm when we get that paramedic license. A lot of the times we're like, we're the God's gift to green earth, right? Like we can go out, we can innovate anybody. But as we grow, we do harm, we don't learn, right. we do these things. And how do you feel? Because checklists are fairly new just across the board. Like, how do you feel like the use of checklists in the pre-hospital environment should be? Do you think that should be a requirement thing to have that procedural pause with a checklist? Or do you feel like it can be an internal thing? Because I know I do an internal checklist. I take that own procedural pause, 10 seconds to myself, kind of hype myself up a little bit, make sure that I can do it. So, yeah, I'm pretty biased. Um, I I fly airplanes uh, for for a hobby and checklists are integral to aviation safety. And and from a healthcare perspective, we know that aviation does a better job of safety than we do. Um, And I think checklists are a big part of that. Um, So I personally, I don't know if I say we mandate checklists. I know we we do in some uh, organizations that I've been involved with. Um, kind of mandated certain checklists. I do think they're super valuable. I think the most important thing is for providers at whatever level to understand the importance of that and understand that they need to be really introspective about what they can and can't mm-hmm. do. 
Um, one of the things we taught on today was the Dunning-Kruger effect. Okay. Um, where your expertise... I love the Dunning-Kruger right, effect. ...tends to drive your confidence down as you gain more and more expertise until you kind of get to that mastery level where you kind of create a, a balance. Um, really being introspective about what you can and can't or should and shouldn't do. And you bring up airway and, and paramedics. Um, when I teach paramedics or even resident physicians, I always tell them, if you can avoid an intubation by good, aggressive, non-invasive, positive pressure ventilation, um, other treatments like mag, you mm-hmm. can keep people off of a ventilator. A hundred percent. It's you're a better provider. Mm-hmm. You actually have used more skill and knowledge. Yeah. And frankly, that patient has not experienced an independent risk factor of mortality, which yeah. is what occurs with intubation. And I love innovating patients. It's fun, but it's not always the right answer. No. So tell me a little bit how you were able to cross that that border of getting it from, you know, teaching it as a critical care level lecture down to our EMR and first responders. And how do you feel like they took that? Um, well, I mean, what we did is we, we actually did teach them a little bit of what we do in the more advanced levels. Yeah. So they understand that, but then we took, I took what they can actually do and applied it to some very simple concepts like positioning the patient. Mm-hmm. Um, like BVM techniques. Really, I was taught in residency that if uh, if you can't uh, do BVM, you shouldn't be intubating. Yeah, it is the core airway management um, t- uh, technique or that you need to master. So they're doing that. They're relying on that, um, and uh, so we just kind of filtered it down to those levels and let them know that um, things like considering NPAs, OPAs, how they bag, mm-hmm. how they bag a, a patient with no teeth. Um, can can really be applied in the same way that we apply the very complex algorithm, which has to do with the end of the algorithm of surgical airway. They can still do that within their scope of practice. Yeah. No, I mean, that's a great way to really break it down. And do you feel like they took uh, some value out of it and took, uh, you know, what you said and do you feel like it's going to, you know, impact I hope so. I hope so. we always hope. I so. hope so. I haven't had a chance to have a, a question uh, session. They haven't had a break yet, so I'm going to yeah. hang out and, and see what if, what questions come to me because that tends to tell me a little bit more. Even mm-hmm. if I get some good questions, um, I know that like I stimulated some thought. Yeah. Um, if I don't get good questions, I don't fool myself to think I'm such a good teacher that I've taught it so well that nobody has any questions. So yeah. I'm hoping we'll get a little dialogue during the break. Yeah. No, that'd be really good. They. These guys have been impressively responsive to a lot of the things that we did. I mean, like, we had a lot of really good questions asked and, you know, some questions I didn't have answers to that Isaac didn't have answers to. And, I mean, like, that's just going to happen, right? But, I mean, like, I think that, you know, these guys are really into coming here and learning and growing their practice. And one of the biggest things that I told them, like, in the very beginning is to stop thinking of themselves as just an EMT. Right. And to start thinking of themselves as a high-performing provider because that's what they need to train like. And if they're going to continue to think that, oh, I'm just an EMT, they're going to practice as just an EMT. And, you know, it's just one of those things that it's kind of hard to cross that boundary. And it's really cool to watch all these people that we know that are coming here to lecture, like Andy, you know, Isaac and Kenna and Landon and all these people and, you know, kind of be able to break it down for everybody because it's a hard skill to do once you get to kind of a point in our knowledge base, I feel like, of, you know, how can we make this, you know, uh, to be better understood by somebody we're trying to teach how to advance in their career. Right. And I think sometimes we get so far into the weeds of trying to be like, 
super innovative and oh we need to, you know uh, we need to be teaching the 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 cutting edge which is what we do need to be teaching in certain environments mm-hmm. like physician level um, critical care transport level high level paramedic but honestly we lose sight of the basics yeah and many times even as a physician um, doing the basics creates time and space allows mm-hmm. me to make better decisions um, and when we don't do the basics in the ED um, and we are in panic mode. Yeah. Um, we have not provided value to that patient yet because we've, we're, we're so wrapped up in that. Yeah. So some of the basics are, are the key um, even in those advanced levels. Yeah, no, I mean, we, I mean, like we have the, the Holy Bible of a book that is called back to basics and it's right. just there to remind you to do your best basic interventions and do all of these things it's like you know i kind of got flack from uh some some co-workers i had a a guy that i electively chose not to innovate because after i started an io just because he went from a gcs of three to a 15 doesn't mean i need to innovate him right right right. i hate the uh, gcs to decide we actually brought that up in the conversation oh nice gcs of eight innovate should be um, eliminated because there's too many factors yeah um, I had a patient in the ED just last week with a GCS of four mm-hmm. who was managing his secretions, no vomiting, wow. normal respiratory symptoms. He was, he was catatonic for another reason. Okay. So no way would I intubate that patient. Yeah. Because, again, I have now put that patient in an independent risk of mortality just by the act of intubating. Yeah. So then I may have a patient with a GCS of 12 mm-hmm. who does need to be intubated. So I, I, I'm not a big fan of that. In the trauma realm, maybe it has applicability, but outside yeah. of that, it really doesn't. Yeah. No, that's great. I You know, I sit down and I learn these things from you guys, you know, new, and, you know, I take away something new from every time we have these conversations. But we're kind of hitting a 10-minute mark here, ladies and gentlemen. So why don't we go ahead and wrap up. Uh, Dr. Larson, tell me, tell these guys a little tip of wisdom for whatever level you want. Uh, for difficult airway, I'm, yeah. I'm going to say that the main keys we take away from it is all airways are difficult till proven otherwise. Love it. Do not be lulled into a false sense of security based on the patient's presentation. The worst airways I've had have been people who you would think are going to be easy. Mm-hmm. And then for those that are advanced providers, all airways in in cricothyrotomy, in a surgical airway. If you're going to take somebody's ability to breathe away by doing RSI, you better be prepared and, w- and willing to do all the way, which is a surgical airway. Yep, I love that. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. Dr. Larson, thanks again for coming on over here. I really appreciate it. And we will talk to you guys on the next one. All right, everybody, welcome back. This is Sam with Standby for Tones. And uh, lucky us, we got another guest with us today. This is Jackie Briggs with Courageous Survival. Uh, Just a reminder, we're out here at the Southern Idaho Fire Academy, you know, trying to bring all these educational, you know, abilities out to the to the smaller communities and talk about our education talk about how we can you know take care of ourselves and that's where Jackie's going to kind of come in today so Jackie tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, we'll kind of go on and listen to what Courageous Survival is all about. Well thank you so my name is Jackie Briggs and I'm the founder and director of Courageous Survival. We're an Idaho-based nonprofit. We help first responders, veterans, and their families to connect with mental health and wellness resources. I'm married to a Marine who's a retired cop uh, 29 years in law enforcement, and uh, we have two daughters that are suicide attempt survivors as well. And so we've literally lived Idaho being ranked 50th in our nation for mental health and wellness resources. So we started Courageous Survival three and a half years ago. 
Prior to that, I helped volunteer with a national organization that did two-day mental health and wellness trainings for first responders. So I got to bring all those resources and info back to Idaho so that we can start shifting that. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. So because mental health is really, it's kind of an enigma in our, in our kind of life because, or in our career fields, I guess I should say, because, you know, we go out, we see, and we deal with all these really bad incidents. We deal with kids, adults, you know, suicide attempts, uh, whether that's on ourselves or family members, or we're taking care of patients, we are affected in this in a, in a really kind of a negative way. And we don't know how to take care of ourselves. And that's kind of, you know, a big thing that is changing in our career as we're kind of moving on and progressing in the world of medicine is how do we take care of ourselves while trying to take care of others? So how, how do we go about that? Tell us a little bit about courageous, uh, courageous survival and kind of what you guys do for, you know, or the state of Idaho, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So we have this resource guide. Um, it is available online. There's a QR code as well yep, that takes you to the updated every six months. Yeah, I'll grab a packet of that and put it up on the screen for us too. Oh, so you guys can have that and scan it on the on the uh, computer there. So go ahead. Sorry, one more time. All yeah. right, continue on. So. Yeah, so we've got the resource guide. We have national resources, regional okay. resources, and then um, local resources. And they're all, if you open it up to the middle, it falls open to the crisis resources. And they're by all the different regions in the state. Okay. Um, and so every resource in this resource guide has been vetted by our teams and is culturally competent. What that means is that most therapists, for example, are not prepared for you guys. Yeah. Uh, two minutes into the session, they need their own dang counselor. So yeah. These folks know what they're doing. They know how to respond. They know how to help you guys get connected with the resources that they need. And then we've got over 100 peer support team members across the state of Idaho, active, retired, former first responders, uh, veterans and military, as well as spouses and significant others, uh, family members. And we help folks navigate the resources. We provide peer support and help them navigate. That is awesome. Is there a cost associated with it at all? Nope. Totally free. Uh, um, even better. Yep. And we've kind of adapted as, you know, as we've gone. Um, for example, there's been multiple critical incidents that have happened across the state and we've gone in and responded. They're like, hey, can you come in and do some kind of a mental health debrief or critical incident debrief? And there were several of us on the team that were trained to do that. And so we're like, well, okay, we need to start meeting that need. Yeah. So we went from doing two in 2022. We did 11 last year, um, critical incident debrief. Which is a, a huge jump. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And we just started getting call after call like, hey, this agency did one last week and we heard about you guys. And can you get, you know, get get in and do one for us? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's been really incredible. And then the last six months of the year, we were able to connect over 150 first responders with resources That's awesome. um, directly after critical incidents yeah. and stuff. Is that 150 for the entire organization or is that just for the state of Idaho? Um, that was actually just within region five, oh, wow. which is um, that doesn't count all the others that we were helping with PTSD mm-hmm. with going inpatient, um, you know, connect workers comp. We help yeah. folks with navigate the workers comp for PTSD yeah. benefits and stuff. And so help that them. number is drastically you know, your, your outreach is a lot more than just that 150. There's so much more behind oh, yeah. that that you guys yeah. offer. So how do they find out about you guys? Do you guys have like a, a region specific email? Is there one e- or one website that they can go to, to kind of look where their region is if they want to look up online? How do we find out about you guys? Yeah, No, um, that's a great question. So courageous survival.org. 
Um, we have our own website, and then we also have a Facebook page as well. Um, we do free trainings, the critical incident debriefs. People can contact us on the front of the um, front of the resource guide, yeah. as well as on our website is a phone number, a one eight six six number. We have three extensions. You can call and talk to a peer support. We're not crisis resources, um, but we are trained to do interventions so that if we need to help a first responder or veteran in crisis, we can, yeah. and then do a soft handoff to a crisis resource. I love that. Getting them into culturally competent. So there's a line for that. Um, and then there's also a critical incident debrief, you know, extension as well. And then also a zero goes to me as the admin. So Okay. No, that's great. So ladies and gentlemen, this is uh, Standby for Tones. And Jackie, thank you so much for, for joining us and giving us this information because, you know, it's such a... A hard topic to talk about when it comes down to our own provider mental health and whether you're in law enforcement military we all have some form of issue that we should seek help for at some point in our lives i mean like and this is just such a great resource for so many people that is not known about because i didn't really know about it until you know i learned about it last year and you know it's a huge thing so i really appreciate you guys doing all this legwork and you know really watching out for us because, you know, we watch out for so many other people and we don't tend to watch out for ourselves. And I really appreciate that. So thank yeah. you. Yeah. You guys do such a phenomenal job of, I mean, it's like you're superhuman because you're able to go into traumas and be able to respond and keep it together. Mm-hmm. And you are so good at compartmentalizing. Like most civilians could not ex- respond to the trauma that you guys do. Yeah. And so you're so good at that, but yet then it, the body still keeps the score Yep. and it does affect you whether it's days, months, even years later. And so getting the resources is so crucial. And I will also add a plug, uh, especially with CIFA. Yeah. You know, a lot of folks don't realize that 80% of fire and EMS across the United States is all volunteer. Okay. And so they don't have resources. Um, oftentimes they don't have insurance, they don't mm-hmm. have benefits. So we got lots of nonprofits that help them with getting connected to resources as yeah. well. For free, and they're covered under Idaho's workers' comp law as well, which oh, wow. is phenomenal. That's a lot incredible. of states don't cover that. So that is awesome. So again, Jackie, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it, and we appreciate all the hard work that you put into to keeping us safe. And everybody out there, if you guys need anything, don't forget and don't be afraid. It's not a shameful thing to reach out for help by any stretch of the imagination. There are organizations out there like Courageous Survival to help you through these hard times. And so please use your resources because you know. Everybody's lives valuable, and we appreciate you all. And again, thank you so much. This is Sam with Standby for Tones, and we'll talk to you later.